Hello everyone, welcome to episode 11 of Gossip, a podcast series where we discuss and try to better understand alternative perspectives on issues. The podcast series is part of Chris Network's ongoing efforts to create a safer space for discourse on gender inequality issues and human rights. My name is Angela Kugudas and I will be your host for today. Our topic today is on citizenship rights in Malaysia. Are we truly equal as Malaysians? And with the recent announcement by the Malaysian cabinet, it would appear that we are finally heading down that path. To help us unpack this question, our guest speakers, Shamila Unikrishnan, a Malaysian who has had to fight for her equal right to confer citizenship to her children born abroad, and Sarah Zarina Mashanis, Policy and Advocacy Coordinator with Family Frontiers. Welcome, Shamila and Sarah. Hello. Hi, thank you for having us. So let's start this discussion with Shamila. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how long have you had to fight for this right to confirm Malaysian citizenship to your children? Did you ever think before this that you would have to face such a struggle? I'm Shamila Krishnan. I live in Nairobi, Kenya. I'm here because I work for the UN and I live here with my husband and two children. This for us has been a struggle for, well, coming up to 12 years because that's how old my daughter is. No, I did not think that this would be the path I have to walk. In fact, my first email to the Malaysian High Commission soon after my daughter was born was, when can I have her passport issued? Which tells you what I thought was the position with respect to citizenship in respect to Malaysian mothers. It didn't occur to me that it would be this arduous a process. I was clearly ignorant of the practice at the time and, and the current practice even. Um, so when they told me that I would have to apply for citizenship, still I thought, well, surely that's pro forma and it's perfunctory. I would apply and it would be issued and that our first trip home to Kuala Lumpur with my then seven-month-old would be on a Malaysian passport. That was not to be. Uh, he then, the, the consular officer here at the time was very helpful and told me it's going to take quite some time. So I asked him, can I go ahead and get my daughter a Kenyan passport or will that jeopardize her ability to then get a Malaysian passport? He said, no, you go ahead, get her a Kenyan passport so that you can travel. When she gets to 18, she will then choose which of her nationalities she wants to retain. I thought, all right, clear enough. What never occurred to me was how arbitrary the process was going to be. 12 years of struggle. Let's just uh, try to put this in context for the audience, right? Uh, 12 years of struggle. She was seven months old, denied Malaysian passport. And then the officer says, you know, in case you need to travel, it's better for her to have at least one passport, a Kenyan passport, you know, that was the recommendation to you. And I assume you followed that. Did that subsequently lead to problems after that? No, it hasn't. It hasn't led to any problems necessarily. What has happened is for our daughter, we have had two rejections for her applications for citizenship. Both application and 
applications and rejections were supervised by the Malaysian High Commission here. Uh, so we know that we dotted all our I's and crossed all our T's and gave every document necessary for the process as required. When you've completed all, the, all that is required of you, you then want to know what the basis was for rejection. When I asked what the basis was, I was just told, ini perkara perlembagaan. Mm, constitutional. Right? Uh, tidak boleh dirayu. And if you're still interested in citizenship, apply again. So we did. And the second one was also rejected. Again, without basis. The first application, if I remember correctly, was rejected after about four years. The second rejection came two years and a bit after application. That, that is so bad. Yeah, that is so bad to make you wait that long. That whole comment by the officer that she has a chance to decide on her citizenship when she's 18 years old. Did that strike you as such a long time for her to wait? Because she was at the time seven months old when you were first applying for, the, uh, for her passport. No, because in fairness to the officer, what he was suggesting was she would have two passports until she turns 18. Ah. He also wasn't aware that it was going to take as long as it has. Right. right. I, now have, I now have an 11 and a half year old and a four year old. And they've both traveled to Malaysia every time we travel, which is every year, uh, on a Kenyan passport. All right. All right. This is, this is really quite bad. Um, I'll get back to you, Shabila. For Sarah, you have worked with Family Frontiers and Family Frontiers has struggled to get Malaysian policymakers to give equal rights to Malaysian women to confirm Malaysian citizenship to their children who are born abroad. Was there any particular challenge that stood out for your organization in terms of your advocacy efforts? Example, you know, if you had, for example, a surprising turn of events, maybe the most disappointing, maybe even the most ridiculous, I mean, just listening to Shamila and how long it took, you know, without knowing what would be the outcome for four years, two years, you know, I think even one year would be quite detrimental for any mother. Yeah, so yeah, Family Frontiers basically took on the issue because we realized that this actually affected a huge pool of Malaysian women. And it was an issue that went under the radar for over 60 years. And however, women and children's groups both have been advocating for equal citizenship rights since the 80s, actually. But for those that are unaware, um, the Foreign Spouse um, Support Group, FSSG, which is under the Family Frontiers umbrella, has been receiving uh, cases on the matter since 2015. And it quickly became very apparent to us that the approvals for citizenship applications under Article 15.2 was an arbitrary process fraught with many delays, repeated rejections, and inconsistencies as well. So that's why in 2018, uh, Family Frontier decided to bring the issue to the forefront and push for the constitutional amendment um, to the federal constitution in 2020. So the case was filed at the Kuala Lumpur High Court seeking an interpretation of the federal constitution to grant women equal citizenship rights, right? And on 9 September, the KL High Court grant did actually grant Malaysian women equal rights to confer citizenship to their overseas-born children and ordered the issuance of the citizenship documents to all the children uh, who had applied, who had made an application, that were born outside of Malaysia to a Malaysian mother. 
But sadly, um, 72 hours later, actually, the Malaysian government then filed an appeal against the High Court judgment. So then on um, 5th August, um, the Court of Appeal in a 2 to 1 decision overturned the High Court decision. So it was a very emotional period as the mothers felt like they lost hope. And the case is now currently in federal court um, as we're waiting, you know, more updates on that as well. So for us, for Family Frontiers, it was a challenge managing the expectations of these impacted moms. And, I, and you know, as Sharmila has mentioned as well, you know, the hardships that she went through. And it was also because of the rapid developments following the ruling. So, for example, after the um, KL High Court granted Malaysian women equal uh, rights to confer their citizenship, this joy was quickly dampened because 72 mm. hours later, the government then filed an appeal against the judgment, right? So, and, you know, the the emotions of the mothers were basically on a yo-yo because so many of them, you know, there were there were a lot of things riding on this decision because they were in vulnerable situations and it has been an issue that has been dragged for so long. There is also a need for immediate remedies in the interim, you know. So there were a lot of critical issues that these mothers were facing alongside this. Um, for example, like long-term residence, um, you know, the application of their children's student visa, which is annual, you know, mm. um, access to education, healthcare, and, you know, on top of that, the bureaucratic processes that followed. You know, many of them were also single mothers, um, you know, so, you know, we were also looking for immediate re uh, remedies to, you know, give them some relief. But I would also say that this series of events was actually what shaped the movement into what it is today. And I think initially there was a lot of fear and apprehension among the mothers to speak up as they were fearful of how it may impact um, their child's pending citizenship application and status in the country, you know. So this was a challenge for us as we knew that it was important for us to highlight the voices of those who were directly impacted. But there has been tremendous growth, you know, since then. And this especially became apparent during the GE15 campaign. Um, where mothers were attending the candidates' charamas and even approaching them to speak on the issue, you know, getting them to hold our um, campaign um, signs, you know. Mm. So while the overturn was disheartening for many, even for us, you know, and emotionally draining to these mothers, it also strengthened and empowered this community of mothers. Yeah. That's great to hear. I mean, how the mothers found courage to speak up despite, you know, the perceived risks, right, to their yeah. applications. Um, but were you surprised that the government appealed? I think, yes, there was, I think I didn't, we didn't generally think that there would be any, um, you know, further, you know, updates. I think no one expected it, you know, everyone was rejoicing and especially something to happen so soon after 72 hours later, it was really like, yeah, very crushing to the mothers as well. You know, and I don't think anyone expected that kind of judgment since it was already especially at the court high court level you know nobody expected it so yeah it was it was an extremely unexpected um decision on our i mean um, update on our end yeah yeah thank you for that um let, let's go to shamila again i mean in because you know what shamila shared what you shared earlier in the context that um, the Malaysian government, and the Malaysian government is definitely not alone in this, where, you know, where it's always trumpeted that family is the most important basic unit of society. How does this struggle for equal rights to confer citizenship to your children make you feel? 
I mean, most people, you know, they would think that what's the issue, you know, just follow the man, you married him. So what were the costs for you? So many people don't understand what exactly are the costs for women in this kind of situation. Could you, could you maybe help to elaborate or help people to understand this? Jamila. It's, it's hugely emotional for, for Malaysian women. And it's hugely emotional for me as a Malaysian woman. I think to you, you need, we need to set the context. We would not be having this discussion if I was a man. Malaysian government is not interested in who Malaysian men marry or who they have their children with or where those children are born. They are recognized as Malaysians as a matter of right. It's pretty simple and that should be the case for Malaysian women. We have the same one vote. We pay exactly the same taxes. So give us the same rights. And we're not asking for something outlandish. Those rights are already in your constitution. The constitution prohibits discrimination on the basis of gender. It's not a complicated issue. It's difficult for me, like so many Malaysian women, to understand what the resistance is. What about us so threatens the nation that our rights have to be halved in this way? want of a better term. What about the Malaysian woman is so inadequate, you like, that makes us have to ask for citizenship? You shouldn't have to ask for your rights. Your rights are your rights. You exercise them as you please. That is the nature of a right. And when denied a right, so many other things follow. And so you find there's so many Malaysian women fighting for student visas for their children. They're in a bit abusive domestic situations and they have just nowhere to go. Now, I'm fortunate. None of that applies to me. But that's not the point. We all have the right to confer citizenship onto our children. Give it to me. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. That's not the point, right? It's, it's about rights, equal rights and... And it seems to suggest that, you know, the government is more interested in who Malaysian women marry. <laughs> worse, maybe worse than your parents. Huh? <laughs> so let's, um, let's get back to Sarah. I mean, clearly the costs are significant and uh, impossible, especially as you said, uh, Sarah, you said uh, some of these women are single mothers now, Right. I mean, marriages, yes, as much as possible. We we want, we we would hope that these marriages are happy, but there are some unfortunate, um, you know, incidents or situations where you know marriages just fall apart. So to so Sarah, if you can just maybe talk to us a, a bit more about this uh, resistance, right? About this resistance, because I remember there was quite a bit of backlash when Family Frontiers did your campaigns over social media and started the strategic litigation where you got this high court to, to issue a progressive judgment. So what were the, or, or the rightful judgment? So what were the government's reasons before this for not granting equal rights to Malaysian women to confer you know, to confer citizenship to their children who are born abroad? And how did Family Frontiers counter those reasons or narratives? Yeah, so I think 
Um, while there were statements, you know, many, many statements released by the previous administration exper uh, ex um, expressing their reluctance to amend the federal constitution to allow Malaysian women to confer their citizenship onto their overseas-born children, these statements were also mostly fueled by misconceptions found online, you know, perpetuated by the public. And for example, many believe that this amendment would also mean that Malaysia would suddenly recognize dual citizenship. However, that was not the case at all, you know, because there are actually legal safeguards to address this issue. And these are safeguards that actually work very well. And, you know, these are provisions um, set for uh, individuals over the age of 21 holding dual citizenship um, under, you know, Article 23.1 of the federal constitution, you know, which states that any citizen above the age of 21 who is also a citizen of another country must renounce their Malaysian citizen, uh, citizenship and cease to be a Malaysian citizenship. Or should they choose, you know, to be Malaysian, then they would renounce the other. So therefore, reaching upon 21, these individuals you know, must only choose one citizenship. And, you know, we see the safeguards working well in our neighboring countries, such as Singapore and Indonesia as well. You know, so these, these were things that Family Frontiers emphasized through repeated engagements with relevant ministries and at the same time also focus on countering these misconceptions among the general public through the use of media. So we have also repeatedly emphasized that the dual citizenship argument can also arise in other situations such as if the child was born abroad to a Malaysian um, in Malaysia or, um, you know, hence a dual citizenship argument cannot be used, you know, as an excuse to continue this discrimination against women. So the question of floodgates was also a common argument uh, used to dampen the gravity of the issue. Um, but it was evident that the question of floodgates was irrelevant in this context simply because um, the records that we you know, found from the National Registration Department actually from 2013 to I think about June 2022, mm. um, you know, there were only 30,000 um, citizenship applications that were received from individuals born abroad to Malaysian fathers, but only 4,000, um, 4.9 thousand um, citizenship applications were received for individuals born abroad to Malaysian mothers. So the absence of floodgates were also reflected in the number of applications under um, 141B of the federal constitution, you know, where Malaysian mothers, um, where only I think about 500 applications were received by the Ministry of Home Affairs from December um, 2021 to July uh, 2022, following the High Court decision um, in the Suriani Kemper and others um, case, you know. So these misconceptions like these were frequently perpetuated even amongst public and also the previous administration, which is why um, we, you know, Family Frontiers were so quick to ensure that we are always putting forth and emphasizing statistics in our advocacy, you know, to adequately combat such misconceptions, you know, especially choose the use of social media, um, you know, because we, we noticed that, you know, the root cause of this is basically, um, you know, perpe uh, the perpetuation of misconceptions amongst the public. Yeah. And then, the you know, government tends to pick up on it and then tends to thrive on this as well. So yeah, we try to combat it through these um, mediums. Yeah. So the use of statistics, did it work with the, uh, with the public? Yes, I think many people were actually, when we released statistics, I think many people did not understand the gravity of the issue. So when statistics were put forth, it paints a picture, you know, it paints a very um, dire picture for you know, 
of how many people these are actually affecting, how many Malaysian women are actually, in, in fact, impacted by this. And it's not just Malaysian women, but it's their children as well. So I think it really painted a nice picture for the public to understand that it is not just a certain um, percentage of, a very small percentage of um you know, Malaysian uh, citizens in this country, but it's actually a large pool of Malaysian women who are impacted by this law. Yeah. But like how Shamila had, uh, you know, had spoken to the fact that it's about equal rights, right? Because a lot of people, yes, they, they do start to empathize when they see like, oh, the situation can be unbearable, the emotional turmoil, you know, like a roller coaster ride uh, is just unfair for women. So, but in terms of understanding as equal right, what what is uh, Family Frontiers' um, analysis of the responses from the public? We did do a public perception survey um, last December to kind of gain the perception, um, you know, the public's, because we haven't really, while we were putting out statistics, you know, showing that, yes, you know, this um, are the amount of people who are affected and, you know, we were putting out statistics of these sorts, uh, sorts, but we actually wanted to kind of see how the public's reaction towards the issue was. And so we did do a public perception survey last December. It has yet to be released, but in line with the tabling of the amendment, we are currently in the works of publishing it because we are going to use that as a resource to also uh, push the government to, you know, to show them that, you know, this much of people actually care about the issue. So I think from the um, survey, um, there were, it was an over, we received an overwhelmingly um, strong number of, um, you know, so um, people who agreed or strongly agreed with the fact that Malaysian women should be um, should have the right to equally confer their citizenship. So I believe it was eight, around 82%. So it was 82% That's of Malaysian. Yeah, it was very, very high. And we were also pleasantly Yay, Malaysians. surprised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> and it was also because um, it was also equally distributed across um, the country. You know, we got, um, you know, people from every single state and an equal amount of representation from states across states, genders and race as well. So, you know, 82% of Malaysians agreed that the existing Malaysian citizenship law needed to be amended to ensure that women have equal rights as Malaysian men to transmit their automatic, um, transmit their citizenship onto their overseas born children automatically. So, and, you know, we also received an overwhelming um, amount of responses from um, them as well. I think it was around 70 or 80% as well that said that it was important to them that their members of parliament um, voted in favor of the law. You know, mm. so this was, this, these are really good numbers to show that the public does care about the issue and the public does find importance in uh, making sure that this issue or this, um, you know, amendment is passed in parliament. Yeah. Yeah, that's really heartening to know that Malaysians, uh, you know, that were responding so positively. So clearly that there was maybe some kind of rhetoric or politically mm -hmm. motivated, you know, maybe self-interest groups that were just pushing the, the negative or the opposition, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So to Shamila, how do you now feel about the cabinet's recent decision? What would you like to say to the Malaysian government? I'm, I'm a proud voting Malaysian. And for me, I am 
hugely heartened that this issue is finally seeing some traction, that we're heading down the road um, that will eventually give us all equal rights to confer citizenship. I'm also hugely heartened that it's getting the bipartisan support that we're seeing it get. Um, I'm looking forward to the tabling of the actual amendment. The government's stated intention is, you know, you can, you can only laud it. It is, it's been a long time coming. And it once passed, I don't think anyone will agree that it really is such an easy win. You lose nothing by giving your women who contribute equally to society equal rights. Um, you, know, you, you stand to gain so much more than you could even possibly think of losing. And so for me, I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic. I think we're finally seeing some form of light uh, at the end of what's been a very long tunnel, but it's also not over until it's over. Exactly. Yeah. I have recently received a letter dated the 9th of November from the National Registration Department saying all our applications for under Article 14 have been frozen mm. until the federal court decides on the matter. Now, the federal court has granted us leave, which means they're going to hear us. And so we wait with bated breath both to hear what the federal court has to say in, in its declaration and in its judgment, but also to see the, the draft being tabled and voted on by two thirds of parliament. Yeah, thank you for that, Shamila. You know, the, uh, the struggle that Sarah said, you know, is actually over 60 years uh, because it's, it, it, it's in the constitution. So clearly it affected mothers, you know, way before this, um, this publicized struggle, you know, uh, emerged, right? Um, and especially with Family Frontiers uh, spearheading the strategic litigation. So thank you so much, uh, Shamila, for sharing your, your personal experiences and your thoughts on this. Uh, we do wish you well. Uh, but coming back to this whole thing, right? So, so Sarah, you have this cabinet decision, which is very positive. And then you also have, on the other hand, the federal court, <laughs> the case in the federal court, right? That's com coming up. What are uh, the major challenges or hurdles that still remain before this becomes a reality for, for women like Shamila? Yeah, so as for the federal court, we are currently just leaving it as it is, you know, it's currently in case management. So, you know, our main focus right now is mostly to um, on, on, on the parliament's end. Yeah, so while the cabinet's um, announcement was extremely, is extremely encouraging, and it is the first, you know, step you know towards passing this amendment you know the real deal makers i would say would have to be with us seeing how fast um the amendment gets tabled um and passed in parliament with the two-third majority and of course there is some anxiety with um the passing of the bill you know but once it is passed um we are ready you know to provide you know stakeholders with relevant resources and feedback to ensure that this amendment will be comprehensive and adequately you know, ad will adequately address the issue. And because this is a constitutional amendment, you know, to a provision on citizenship, uh, we also need the consent from the Conference of Rulers should the amendment be passed in Parliament. So 
although it was very reassuring to see that um, all you know, the major coalitions even had their issue in their election manifestos. You know, we hope to see that, you know, when the voting takes place, you know, MPs will also make a unanimous vote regardless of their political affiliation, you know, but once the bill is passed, then um, hopefully we will see the need for an implementation that is swift and smooth. Um, yeah, but that is basically what we are anticipating now, you know, just to see um, you know, when the bill gets passed, if there is a smooth uh, implementation, but if there is not, then, you know, we will be there, you know, to kind of provide the necessary feedback and also see it through um, till the end, you know. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, hopefully that does occur and that, you know, the bureaucratic sort of processes, you know, speed up as well. But are there other challenges that Family Frontiers are facing in terms of uh, people in terms of your, the people that you serve in terms of accessing equal citizenship rights? Are there others that we haven't heard of? You know, we know this and we're really happy to hear that the public, you know, is, has, a, mm. has given strong support for this. What, what are the other challenges ahead for Family Frontiers? Yeah, so besides this, definitely, I mean, the first would, um, you know, seeing that um, in regards to citizen, the equal citizenship itself, you know, mitigating all these bureaucratic hurdles with regards to Malaysian mothers being able to confer um, their citizenship automatically. Um, and I mean, thankfully, we do have some precedent as um, how the High Court decision turned out in September 2021. So the mothers were brought to the National Registration Department along with the six other plaintiffs. And the documents were issued about three months after, after some bureaucratic delays. So Hopefully, based on the past experience, we are also able to mitigate that so that to ensure that there will be a smoother uh, process since the National Registration Department and Consulate would have um, an idea of what to expect. But besides this, um, there are still numerous issues pertaining to citizenship, actually. It is not just this um, equal citizenship, you know, and it has yet to be addressed or even brought to the forefront um, in front of policymakers or MPs even. And um, But these are areas that a lot of other groups have also been advocating for a long time. But these are also areas that um, we at Family Frontiers wish to address once, you know, everything um, regarding to article, the amendment to article 14 becomes a reality. And, you know, these include um, issues surrounding the citizenship of adopted children, um, mm. abandoned and foundling children, and also stateless children. But I would say that it is be, you know, with all the recent developments, it is encouraging to see that the government expressed their commitment to amend the existing gaps uh, present in other citizenship laws as well. Because um, I believe it was during the recent cabinet um, announcement when the um, from the Home Minister when they agreed to um, table it in Parliament, proceed to tabling it in Parliament. The Home Minister said that he was committed to amending other citizenship laws, especially to Part Three of the Federal Constitution. Um, so you know he mentioned that it would undergo a detailed study by the committee formed under the ministry and will be presented to the cabinet after the amendment proposal is finalized following um, engagement with relevant stakeholders. So we welcome this commitment and we also look forward to working with the ministries and relevant agencies agencies should they require you know any further assistance from us but um yeah these are basically what we are anticipating after we see through the amendment um in parliament yeah thank you so much uh thank you so much uh sarah and shamila uh just just a final question your your thoughts on equal right to citizenry because 
you know, uh, Shamila, you talked about, you know, this is e your equal right as a Malaysian woman. So what are your thoughts on this? And what would you like the public to better understand? I'd like the public to understand that affording Malaysian women impacted or not impacted as yet, the same rights as Malaysian men will not threaten anyone. There is no danger to treating your women equally. Secondly, children aren't sitting around waiting for bureaucratic processes to take their course. Children grow every day um, and every day this process is delayed impacts them in one way or another. It's, I think it is high time that we see the practice match the rhetoric. We now have a position where there is the intention to give Malaysian women the same rights. So there is nothing to stop, given that there is the will, there is nothing to stop uh, the processing of the, art, the thousands of Article 15 applications that are pending. There is nothing to stop the government from easing off on their, on their challenge at the federal court. What are we still challenging at the federal court? Yeah, it has announced its intention to table an amendment. Concede. Exactly. Exactly. Right? So and 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 let's put Malaysian women out of their misery. Let's give these children what they deserve. Let them go to school. Let them access health services. Let them do all those things that citizens can do. Let them access the rights and services that we provide so well to citizens of the country. Yeah. Don't definitely. discriminate the children of Malaysian women simply they was they were because they were born abroad to Malaysian women. They're not sitting around waiting for your processes to to take its course. They can't. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's the nature of life, right? Yeah, yeah, they have to carry on with their life. There's no, they, there's they no grow, choice. They, they grow up every day. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for that, Shamila. Sarah, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think just to add on, I, in terms of citizen, citizenry, I think it'll definitely open doors to addressing the numerous other legal gaps that are present in the constitution and in our policies, you know. And I think to add on to what uh, Shamila said, you know, on access to um, giving these uh, accesses to the children, to Malaysian women, you know, with the amendment being passed, Malaysia will lose nothing. And in fact, we will actually see a booming in, you know, in various sectors, you know, we have all these kids, you know, some of them in our community, you know, we have second generation children, you know, who are now adults, you know, who are, rep who are active in sports, you know, who want to represent the country, but they can't because due to this limitation, you know, and I think we will definitely see an influx in terms of um, our economy in sectors like our economy and education, you know, so Malaysia loses nothing, you know, with the introduction of this um, amendment. Yeah, and I think it will open the doors for a lot more um, refinement and uh, reform towards our citizenship policies and laws. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much again, uh, Shamila and Sarah. Uh, our hearts are with you. We really hope that the uh, the amendment to the constitution will push through and that the government will with actually withdraw this uh, appeal at the federal court level. Thank you so much. So we just heard from Shamila Unikrishnan, a Malaysian who is currently in Kenya, 
and whose children are yet to be able to become Malaysians, and Sarah Zarina Mashanis, Policy and Advocacy Coordinator with Family Frontiers. Both are full of hope with the recent decision by the Malaysian Cabinet that Malaysian women will finally be equal in terms of conferring citizenship to their children. If you enjoyed listening to Gossip, do follow us and stay tuned for our next episode, which extends this conversation by discussing our equal right to citizenry. We may be citizens of Malaysia, but do we have equal rights to citizenry? You can find Chris Network on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Remember, Gossip is where alternative perspectives make sense.